Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. Good morning, New City Fellowship. My name is Martin Kizo, as uh, Pastor John introduced me. Um, this will be my first time ever speaking here, but this church is very close to my heart. Because it really seeded in me a love even more for church planting and for seeing what God, I was just talking to my wife um, here that uh, how it was, it's so incredible. Like I saw Pastor John starting this church up from the ground up, only like a couple members, five, maybe ten, um, from his own home. And I'm seeing now coming in here for the first time into the service and just witnessing how there's an usher team, there's a worship team, there's a coordinator <laughs> There's a sound team. Like, I don't know if you guys who have been here from the very beginning or who just started coming a couple years ago, but it has been a growth that God pushed. And I, and I have just been so amazed, and I'm just so blessed here to, to, to be able to share the word of God with you guys. And I know it, it's a short sermon, so I'm not going to try to fluff it up too much. It's going to go straight into the word of God. But once again, I wanted to say good morning. Um, like I said before, I used to come here and lead worship. And one of the things here that, in, that really, really captivated my attention about this church specifically was how the, the main vision of Pastor John was God's blended family. And not only that, because that, 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 that spoke unity, first of all, but the other part that really grasped my attention was the, the fact that this church was led through a lot of acts of service. I mean... New City Fellowship was well-grounded in serving their community. And I saw that week by week, they would go to the beach. They would go to, the, to uh, Young Circle Park um, and then serve the homeless there. Uh, it was just acts of service after service. And I think that's exactly where I want to take this passage today, which is going to encourage us. And today's title, if you're taking notes, um, from, if you guys are online connected, if you're taking notes, uh, today's title is going to be called The Gospel Mindset. All right, the gospel mindset. We're going to talk about what it means to have the mindset of Jesus. And so, will you all just turn with me? We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. All right, and and just to give you context, I'm going to laser in only three verses, but I want to read the whole context so you guys can see it all. Um, And we're going to be from chapter 2, verse 1, and we're going to read all the way through 11. So if you quickly turn there with me. I'm just going to start reading and then we'll get started and break it down. So here it goes. So starting back back from verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition, verse 3, or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and on the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Amen. Will you all pray with me right now? I want to just be zeroed into this word, into God's word. Pray along with me. God, Father God, I pray, Lord, that this message will open up our hearts, Lord. Lord, I pray that you will open up the eyes of our hearts, Lord. Help us see, Lord, what your word is trying to teach us this morning, Lord. May it convict me as well as the preacher, Lord, as well as the people who are listening, God. Lord, change us, transform us, Lord, and let us have the mindset that you have called us to have, Lord, that is yours, Lord, which speaks highly on humility and your great love. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I'm going to take only three verses from, from this entire passage we're going to talk about, and we're just going to break those three, three verses down. We're going to be just from five through seven, all right? So we're going to stop at have this mind among yourselves. So, I was just, upon reading this passage, I was just thinking about the word servant, the word service, the word serve. How that is so foreign in today's culture. Like, think about it this way. I thought about how outside of church culture, outside of Sunday mornings, right, we don't, turn to, we don't, we don't tend to use the word, how can I serve you? In what way can I be a servant to you? Like, we don't, that doesn't happen often in work. I mean, maybe it does. Maybe you use that as, like, part of your lingo. But that's not very often. I mean, I go to, I go, I've, been, I've been to school, work, and usually go day-to-day teaching some music lessons to students. And I don't tend to use that. I feel like, how can I help you, right? Or, you know, how can I, you know, um, show you along, whatever it may be. But we don't tend to use the word, how can I serve? Because it's very foreign to our culture to say, you know, let me be a servant, to you. There was actually a, a, a funny example that I, that I want to bring up. That I had one of, one of my friends, we were with a group of guys. Um, I, I, we went over to my friend's house to play a couple games. Um, and that night it kind of got a little bit awkward. There was, a, there was a bit of confliction between my friends who hosted us into his home with his wife. They got into an argument in between the whole group and it was kind of really awkward. At one point it was just silent. We, we were just sitting there like, oh my gosh, we just witnessed an argument. What, what, what do we do? Right, we were just sitting there, and the wife had just walked out. The husband was just there in silence. He didn't know what to do. We were there, and then one of my friends is like, "Hey, um, he's he's a very humble guy. He's a very nice guy." So he was like, "Hey, um, is there any way I can help you? Like, I, I want to be able to serve you." And the, and, the, and my friend, he, he he's not not so much into the church culture, so he, he kind of looked at him with a blank stare. He's like, "How can I serve you?" I'm like. It's a little awkward. I don't think he understands what that means. So um, all that to say is that it's very, it was very awkward. And, and he, it, like that whole night, I just had to like get up and be like, hey, guys, I think we should, we should go. He needs to kind of fix this out with his wife. Uh, let's end this game night and whatever. And we headed out back, um, back out. Um, but but it, it was just that blank stare. Like he was kind of like, uh, what is he asking? What, what does he mean by that? You see... Servanthood, service, humility is very, it's very strange to a culture which is all about how can I serve myself? How can I please myself? It's all about I need to step on other people's toes in order to get to the place that I want to be in. And, and we have this very, very individualistic mentality and not so much a mentality to 
kind of have unified thoughts. How do, how do we love one another? It's more of how can I love myself first? We have a narcissistic culture that focuses more on your highlight reels, what you post online. We only post the things that are good, but we don't post the things that are bad. So it's, it's all very self-centered at its core. Whether we like to admit it or not, it's all around us. And so I want to speak really quick about what exactly this verse is going to speak to us. Because Paul is calling us to have the mindset of Jesus. Right? And really quick, this, 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 the context of Philippians, right? It's a letter that Paul gave to, to the church in, in Philippi while Paul was in prison. Right? And right around 60, 62 AD, um, Paul was uh, in prison at this moment. And he wrote to this church, um, which was a community of strong believers, right? But it seems that this, there was a lot of drastic diversity. There was rich, poor, right, middle class. There was, it was a uh, uh, diversity in economic classes. As we can see in Acts 16, we get the context of how different this church was. It was very diverse. They as a whole were struggling with maintaining union and being humble and loving towards one another. And so Paul gives them the ultimate example to follow. How can you... Be the best servant you can possibly be. How can you love other people the best possible way? And he gives them the ultimate example. And if you're writing notes here, I'm, I'm going to be going through this exact like phrase throughout the entire sermon. So I wrote it here. Just true humility is motivated by love. True humility is motivated by love. And we're going to start here from verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. So the mind of Christ, right? What is the mind of Christ? Uh, uh, in these three verses, we've got to really take it apart. What is the mind of Christ? What does it mean to have the mind of Christ? Two questions we must ask first, right? What is the mindset first? Because in other translations, it says, have the mindset of Jesus. And I like that. I like how he says it, mindset in that translation. I think it's in the NIV. Um, what, is, what, is it, what does Paul mean when he is calling us to have the same mind that Jesus has? So two things. We've got to first find out what is the mindset and what is this, this mind that, G, that Paul is calling us to have? So uh, just a quick Google search I did um, th- um, from what, what mindset means, right? It says that the, it's the established set of attitudes held by someone, right? An established set of attitudes held by someone. These set of attitudes that we adopt as our own can lead our decision-making throughout our entire lives, right? Having, the, having a mindset can can influence those decision-making. They become the lens in which we navigate through the world around us, and especially having a mindset, a good mindset, is useful when it comes to our responses when challenges happen. So Paul was, saw that there was a problem of unity in the church. He saw that the church needed to understand what it means to be humble, what it means to love. And so he told them, well, whatever mindset you have, right, whether you're an athlete, you have an athletic mindset. You're about training and sports. And, or you you're, might be a, 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 an entrepreneur and you're, you're very on for taking risks, right? But Paul's calling us here specifically to have the mindset of Jesus. Have the mindset of Jesus. And so the second question we need to answer is, now that we understand that the, a mindset is an established set of attitudes, that we need to hold on to, right, in order for us to see the lens through the world. The same question we need to answer is, what did, what did Paul mean to have this mindset? What does it mean? Christians are called to be one in Christ. One in Christ. 
Paul refers the mind of Christ being the attitudes and actions he previously mentioned we should have towards one another. So in verse 1 through 4, just going back there, one, it's the context of what we see what the mind looks like. He said, so if there's, um, I, I, he says the word there, if. I want to change it. Because some people say like, it's like it's a guessing word, like if. It's a, you can change the word there in the Greek to since. So we can say that. So since there is any encouragement, any encouragement in Christ and any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, and since there is complete, since there is all this, right, complete my joy by being the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind. And so he gives us a list. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look to only his own interests, but the interests of others. And I wrote down here a quick list. This is maintaining the unity is one body, right? Having the same love that comes from the source of Je- which is Jesus. Jesus is the source of love. And then that overflows into everybody else, your neighbor. Do nothing that would only seek to benefit yourself. I'm just paraphrasing all this. Do nothing that, on, uh, that, that would only seek to benefit yourself, which is empty glory, which is the enemy of harmony and unity. So do nothing just that seeks your own benefit, but seek the benefit of others. Regard everyone as more valuable than yourselves. Not, it, it, this does not mean superior or more talented, okay? This does not mean that think of everybody as more superior than yourselves and you as like lesser but worthy of preferring the best for them. Taking the worst place to be seated at the table and let everybody, and any, anyone else take the best seat at the table. So this is the toughest one to follow. And this is very countercultural. And, and that's when we see it in verse 3 and 4, which is the last one that Paul give, gives us to as the ultimate example. And, and I, I want to ask, why is it so tough to do, to do this very last one. I think this is the toughest one personally. Back in verse 4 it says that. Sorry. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look to his own interests. But to the interests of others. I think that's very key to this entire passage. Because when you're having an argument. When, you're, when you have some sort of conflict in the church maybe in the maybe in a bible study you guys disagreed and you didn't like how the way the way that person talked to you maybe you walked into church and someone looked at you the wrong way and now there's that conflict there and and usually when there's like pain and there's like some type of like hurt it's so hard to say I gotta look at that person as more significant than myself you see or when there's something that that's that's needed needed forgiveness in order for it to, to be progress it's so hard for us to be, man, I think that person's worthy of preferring the best for them. They're more valuable than I am. I want to treat them as better. But why would I do that when I have this, this thing in my heart where I, I, I can't, I can't forgive them. They, they hurt me. They looked at me the wrong way. They, 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 they said something that broke my trust. When there's hurt and there's pain and there's division, it's so hard for us to look at somebody and say they are more significant than I am. So I got to treat them better, regardless of where I am. And so the mindset of Jesus, right, when it's, we see this division where there's hierarchy, where there's, uh, we see this division in denominations and self-righteous towards one another. The mindset of Jesus and attitudes we are called to put on is the action 
that can be summed up in this self-sacrificing humility that is motivated by love. This is the mindset of Jesus. We hope you're inspired by God's word. What have you learned so far? As you listen, pray about applying it to your life. Let's continue in God's word. I want to dive in. We're going to see how this example unfolds. All right? This humility needs to be motivated by, the, by love, the source of which is love, God's love, that pours into others. Because God loves us, we can love. Because God forgives, we can forgive others. Because Jesus showed tenderness and compassion towards us, we can do the same. Because Jesus desired perfect unity with the Father, we are called to long for unity with brothers and sisters in the church. This is an ongoing mentality that we need to put on. And now let's look at this, this, uh, this verse 6 and 7. Who though he was in the form of God, right, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. The deity of Christ is what I like to call this from verse 6. We get, a, we get a glimpse of who Jesus was. Now we need to understand who Jesus was in order for us to see how this example actually unfolds. Who is Jesus? Look at this. It says, he was in the form of God. The Greek word there says, it says morphe, which is nature. He had the same nature as God. He was in the same substance as God. He was equal to God. He was God. Jesus existed before the foundation of the world. Colossians 1.1 shows us that all things were created through him and for him. John 1.1 says that he was the word and the word was with God and the, and the word was God. And that was a parallel to Genesis where it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus was before, he was after, and he will be to the ends of the earth. So it speaks about who really Jesus is. We need to understand that Jesus is God. He wasn't just a wise man. He wasn't just a teacher. He was God. That's so key. Jesus having the same nature as God. So it stands as a strong apologetic argument because a lot of people would try to say that Jesus was just a man or, he, or the church constructed this legend of him years later. But this is so close to the, to the death of Jesus, only 20, 10 years back. And people were already believing that Jesus resurrected and that he really was God. Look at this next part. It says, Jesus did not hold on to his own status. It says that he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, the word grasp can be something said as snatching away or something to hold on or cling on. I think in the, in the KJV it says that he did not count robbery to hold on to it, right? And I, I, don't, I, don't, I think that word is a little bit kind of gives us the, 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 kind of the meaning that he kind of didn't want to take it away. He didn't want to lose something. But God couldn't lose his status because his very nature, who he was, was God. So I think in more accurate was that he couldn't, he didn't find equality with God, something that he, could, he needed to hold on or something that he could take advantage of. He didn't need to it to have that. This is the most accurate because we can see that God's nature was his very nature. Jesus' nature was equal to God. He could not lose that. But he says that he didn't, he didn't care whether he, he left his status in heaven. He didn't care whether he was 
in, the, in having all the riches. Even though being God, he was able to let that go. Look at this next part. But what about us? I think that most of us have something that we are pridefully holding on to that, that we find our identity in. So even though Jesus was God and that, that he was in the highest of places, right, before the creation of the world, he didn't need to feel the need to be like, I, can, I don't have to hold it on to prove something because that, that, that is who I am. Now, I feel like us as human beings, we can do the same thing, but we, we, hold, we hold on to our, 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 our jobs as that's what, that's what makes my identity. Or we hold on to our, our college degrees or our, our, our families as that is what, that's what I find my identity. That's who I am. And if I let this go, that I, I'm, I'm nobody. And so we hold on to these things, but are we willing to drop all the, 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 the things that we think we can find our identity? Sometimes we even put our denominations or our theological ideas and we think that that, 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 that is the thing that makes who, who we are. And we're not willing to set it aside like Jesus did. He set aside his glory. And this is the next part we're going to read. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. This is so huge. Here, Jesus, now there's a lot of debate about what this word means when he says that he emptied himself. A lot of people think that he took away of his deity and he was only man while he was on earth. But that's not true. Because this same word emptied means kennel which just means he, he set aside his glory. He veiled his glory where he was on earth. He still had the same nature. He was fully God. He was still fully man. But he veiled this, this, this glory that he had. And we see that because in John 17, um, verse 4, you can look it up. I don't have time to go through all that passage because I only have a couple minutes left. But in John 17, verse 4, he says, he prays to the Father, says, Father, Bring me back, give me back the glory I once had when I was with you. So God, so Jesus asked back to get to have that glory back. He longs to have that glory back. Or when he he transfigured before John and Peter, right, his uh, his disciples, in, in the moment that where he let them see just a little bit of who, of his glory in the Mount of Transfiguration, he says that his glory was was lifted just a tiny bit, and they can see the splendor of who Jesus was. So he was veiled. He set aside this glory that he had and took the form or the morphe, the same nature of a servant being born in the likeness of men. He did not lose anything, but rather Jesus set aside his glory and made himself of no status. Jesus put a veil on his glory. He left behind perfect communion with the Father, submitted himself to obedience. This is huge. That word servant there, it's too light to, to, to keep it as just servant. The word in the Greek says doulos. And that word doulos means slave. He took the form of a slave. Have you ever heard of Jesus as a slave? Jesus took the form of a slave. Compared to his deity as God and becoming man, he took the lowest place. I mean, that gap between being God and creation, he became a slave to humanity, in other words. Because he, he came with a mission to die. 
for his creation, for the person he loved, for humanity. God was willing to set aside all of that because he loved greatly. Because he loved you. Because he loved me. That's why I call this, this message the gospel mindset. Because I, I just read these verses about how Jesus stepped down from the heavens to take the form of a slave to serve, right? Everything he did on this earth was just to serve. I was, I, I was preparing this message and I wrote so many notes, but I, I want to just zero in on the fact that when I was just reading through this, I don't know if you guys see this. It hit me so hard. I, I kept asking, why would God do this? I, I always think about it. It's like Steve Jobs creating, right, the iPhone and saying, I want to become an iPad. I'm the creator. I created this, this phone, and I want to become this iPad. Why would you want to do that? You're the one with the mind who created this. But Jesus said, I don't require myself. I don't, I don't need to have all this. If I, if I, if I am willing to lay it all down so that they may live and that I may die. Do you not see this contrast? When I, was re when I was preparing this, I broke down in tears. Because from being God in the highest, untouchable, almighty, holy, rich in power, able to exist past, present, and future, now Jesus became a slave into the hands of humanity. A slave is someone with the lowest status, giving up to all his rights. He's at the mercy of his master. His main task is simply to serve. But God became the lowest of the low for us. This is one of the original distinctions of Christianity, I see. That a lot of other religions, it's like, how can we get to God? Right? How can we do stuff? How can we do things in order to please, appease a God so that we can able to, to get to heaven? But Christianity is very different. We have a God who said, I love them so much that I'm going to reach down and I'm going to show them love. He loved first so that we can love back. It doesn't work the other way around. It's not us trying to reach God. It's God reaching us towards us. God is extending his hand of love to us. And all, he, all we have to do is receive the gift. So when I see the gospel, what is the heart of the gospel? It's not, it, it, yes, it's all about grace. But grace is a gift. What motivated God to give us that gift of grace? Humility and love. At the core of the gospel, I see that it is all about humility and love. Because it, it took God's humility, humiliation of Jesus, in order for him to come down into the earth, die for us, and give us that, that gift of grace, which saved us. It was his saving work on the cross and his resurrection that proved he, that he was willing to do all this for us. So, just two last points here. This would be the God of the universe, the servant king of kings. And, and that's, so, that's, that's such an odd thing to say, the servant king of kings. In, 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 in Paul's Greco-Roman world where he was preaching at, it was so weird to hear this. Why was it weird to hear? Because around that time... Kings conquering nations after nations. Alexander the Great, right? The one who, who, who led the way to the Pax Romana. All these things that, that, that they were surrounded by in their culture. Mighty power. That was all regarded as amazing. But Paul's message about a servant king 
was very weird to hear. And I think it's still weird to hear today's world because we're still led by that same prideful, conquering, mighty, like, status that that's regarded as good and being a servant is regarded as bad. We hear, how can I be a servant to you? And we think that that's like, oh, like, that's, that, that's like you're being a slave to me. Like, no, 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 not that. But, but, but the gospel is all about us being a, a slave to God and serving others, putting others before us. We're, put, we're taking the last place so that others can benefit. That's what the gospel is all about. So I want to zero in here in the last part where it says the likeness of man. God chose, he could have chose to become an angel and show his power. He could have chose to become a, a powerful king and rule the nations that way. But he chose to become lowly and become like us. He took the form of man because we are the object of his great love. Now, listen again. We are the object of his great love. We need to understand that because I want to put that contrast. God, being the highest, had to become so low as to become like us, his creation. And that's only because God loved us so much. He made us after his own image. Because we are his object of his love. We are his greatest treasure made in his image. He wanted to embody his creation so that we may know and see the extent of his humiliation and love. I want to conclude with this passage here in John chapter 13. Um, if, if, when, if you're writing that, you can write that, that chapter and just read that part. John chapter 13. The washing of the disciples' feet. And I see, I always t- every time I see this passage, I think about to that passage about in John where Jesus and the disciples, they were walking right through, through the paths um, in Jerusalem. And, and at one point they had to stop and... Um, Jesus kind of did an act that was very odd for him to do as a rabbi, as, a, as, a, as, their, as their leader. Usually this, this act of washing the feet was only, led for, was only done by slaves or servants of the household. But Jesus decided to grab a, a towel. He got on his knees. And he went down and he grabbed the dirty, I mean, everybody was walking at that point with dirty feet. Like there was no like shoes and stuff. Like they would, they would walk through rugged paths and feet were probably bloody, they were dirty, whatever. But Jesus decided to step down here into this level, look at, look at them in the eyes and say, I want to do this. The God of the universe? The God of the universe? Why would he do that? The God of the universe came down to wash our dirty feet clean. There was once an example here that I, I, I got to experience. I don't know if you've ever done this experience, this exercise, but uh, back when I was in camp in, in middle school, our, our leaders got to do this and, uh, as part of the activity they did, and they gathered a bunch of us in, a, in, a, in circles, right, with our leaders. And, and, and the ones who were leading the Bible study there, they took a moment of just like worship and just silence, and they grabbed a bucket of water, and they showed that they wanted to reimagine how this would have looked like. And me as a little kid, was what, like maybe 11, 12 years old, and I, and I saw this happening. And I saw my leader get down and started washing my feet, my middle schooler, dirty, stinky feet. <laughs> he, he grabbed it and he started washing it. And I was, it was a little bit awkward at first, but as time passed by, I saw this. And he, he grabbed it and he moved on to the next person. And he moved on to the next person. I was like, I was thrown back for how, 
how humble that act is. And it, I don't think it's not even about that, that very act of washing the feet. But the fact that someone will be willing to go that low for somebody else. And let me tell you right now, church, from wherever you are, God was willing to wash your feet as well. Just like he did it to the disciples, he basically did the same thing to you guys when he stepped down and was obedient to die on a cross. He died the death that you needed to die. He put himself there, bloodied, beaten, spat on, crucified, humiliated before others, naked, because he loved you. He took the punishment that you deserved. And God was buried, and three days later he resurrected. That's why in the rest of the passage I wanted you guys to see, because it didn't end there with just Jesus being humiliated and just him becoming a servant and a slave. It didn't just end there because after that, God said that he exalted him and put him in a place at the right hand of the Father. And then one day every knee and tongue shall confess and bow that Jesus is Lord. So there's that parallel at the end of the day. That if you are humiliated and put before, God will exalt you. Just like God exalted Jesus, we will one day raise with Christ. Now, that, now that, that same example, church, can only happen if you take the gift of God, the gospel. So self-sacrificing humility motivated by love is the mindset of Jesus. Now I want to ask you. Do you have that mindset? Do you have the gospel mindset? Do you come every day and wake up and think about that self-sacrificing humility? And that it can, it's not just about being humble, right? Because you can be humble and be a nice person. But if it's not motivated by love, by the source of love, the way that God loves us, in order to love others, it means nothing. So true humility needs to be self-sacrificing and it needs to be motivated by love. That is the mindset of Jesus. We are called to action to put this daily, to infiltrate every fiber of our being. Let it be the lens in which we see one another and so that we can treat one another in the same way. Seeing and thinking of each other the way Jesus Christ saw and thought of us. That is all I want to end with um, today with you guys. But just one last, one last comment. Be humble. As he was humble, be loving as he was loving. And this does not exclude anyone, but unto everybody. Jesus was willing to take a step down, a huge step down, from his place in the highest so that he could give his life for us. And that is the perfect example that we're to follow. We will never be able to reach that excitement because we are not God and we're not, we can't become a, a servant like that. We can't take that big step. But it's something that we can strive towards. That that mindset will unite the church. That mindset will be seen by other people when we start serving other people. When we start making this word servant. How can I be a servant to you? This will help us be able to end the conflicts between one another. And when we have arguments, we can be humble enough to say, well, I don't know everything. But uh, I, I, I want to just see where we can have a good, healthy, godly conversation when we see things clashing and conflicting, we can say, we can be humble enough to say, you know what, I can drop down my pride. And I just want to love on you. I want to forgive you. That's the way we can start acting and putting it into action and application. But having that mindset is a daily process.
process of the daily, day-to-day, having the gospel mindset. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I thank you, Jesus, because the gospel is real. It's true, Lord. You stepped down from heaven so that you could be with us, Lord. You washed our dirty feet, God. You didn't have to, Lord, but you gave it all. We were so dirty, messed up in our sin, God. We were walking in rebellion. But you, God, decided to make yourself like us, Lord. You died. And you proved to us that you were the Lord when you resurrected, Jesus. Lord, I pray, God, that anybody in this room who does not know you or anybody connected through the live would see that they need to come to a place of repentance in order to have the same mind that you have. If we don't take that step, Lord, of coming before a holy God and saying, Lord, I surrender. Lord, I I saw that what you did for me. I saw that you were willing to leave it all behind because you loved us so much that you wanted to establish a unified relationship that you once had with us, Lord. You wanted to do it again, God. You long to do it, Lord. Lord, help us come back to you. Help us, Lord, have carried this gospel mindset through the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.